welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We've been going through Steps to Freedom. We've been taking the principles that Paul uh, explains in Romans 1 through 8, those chapters, which really culminate in the idea, here's how you're free. Christ has done all this to set us free, free to finally live the lives the way we should live them so that we can become the men and women we've been called to be. And so I've been talking about steps to freedom, and I'm just going through practical things. I'm not drawing my text from Romans, but I have to put this one in, and you'll see why. Father God, we ask you to open the word to us tonight. We love your word. It's alive to us, and we want to obey it and live it, Lord. And so I pray for revelation, and I pray for grace to speak your word so it's your voice we hear. Come now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone who ministers healing with any frequency at all will soon recognize a pattern to the answers people receive. A few receive instantly. Many receive gradually over time. Some don't receive a healing, but do receive the grace to turn the page, as it were, and enter a new fruitful season, even though the healing itself didn't come. And some receive complete freedom from disease and suffering only after stepping into eternal life. Would you say that was true? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. And uh, just it seems to be the way it is. And try as we might to explain why these differences occur. The truth is it's a mystery. And we do everybody a service if we left it that way. In other words, keep praying with all our hearts. And humbly leave the results to God. A number of years ago, I was watching uh, Christian television. That was the last time I did it too. No, it was not. I mean, um, but I was watching this and it had on a, a, a noted faith healer teacher who will remain anonymous. And it was kind of a late evening thing and they were, they were interviewing and the, and the interviewer asked this question and he said, when you teach healing, you teach it as if everyone should always be healed. And then he said, but you know as well as I do that there's passages in here that imply that isn't always the case. Why do you do that? And this faith healer said this. He said, I agree with you. I know it does say that. He says, however, when I have a, a healing service, if I acknowledge that there are indeed times when God doesn't, everybody in the place is going to think that's them. And so it will lower the faith. In, the, uh, in, in my, my service, and people won't get healed. They'll all think, ah, I'm the exception. So he said, I teach it as an absolute. God always wants to heal everybody. To raise the level of faith so that more people get healed. 
Now, I can't argue with that on a pragmatic basis, and I'm sure, I mean, it actually makes sense, and I could understand why he would do that. But here's the problem. On an ongoing practical basis, it leaves an impression which does damage. If I feel that in every case, I should have had complete healing, complete release from a thing, then the only explanation for why I don't in some situations is that I'm a failure in my faith, that I'm somehow, that something's wrong and I'm living with a failure. And that leaves a wake of troubled people. Let's go on. This pattern is true not only for physical healing, but also for the healing of the internal wounds and weaknesses of our mind and emotions. A few receive healing instantly. Many receive gradually. And some receive the grace to live victoriously, even though a certain wound or weakness may never entirely go away. In fact, I suspect there are certain areas in each of us where God chooses to give us grace to overcome rather than complete healing. You see where I'm going? Now, what I'm not doing, by the way, is trying to somehow say we don't believe in healing and we don't believe in laying hold of God and that we don't all need to grow in our faith, etc. Just on our Thursday night ministry, we pray for over 2,000 people a year. So it's not like, and we cast out devils, we do the whole nine yards, so we're there. But there's some truths here you've got to look at. To be fair, and also just let the truth have its healing effect. And we're going to look at that in, in Paul's life here in a moment. Here's some sources of struggle. I've said these over the past weeks. Appetites and passions of the flesh. When you became a Christian, did those all go away? If they did, you come up here after service and tell me how you did that. <laughs> Spiritual mental assaults from the devil. Did those go away when you became a Christian? No, in some cases they amped up. Physical, mental, and emotional wounds and weaknesses. Those don't all go away either. Things can happen to us as children or at critical moments in our lives that leave us injured. They can leave behind wounds or weaknesses where we are vulnerable to temptation or harassment. Some are healed wonderfully, but some may remain requiring a constant dependency on God's grace. Here's an example of someone like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? There can be things that happen in life. There can be wounds. There can, I mean, physical injuries, emotional things that take place, scars that are left in our lives. And we can pray and seek the Lord and say, God, take it all away. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And we're going to look at an example in someone's life where he didn't. Watch this. Go with me to Acts 14. Acts 14, and uh, I'll tell you where we are. Paul is on his first missionary journey. With whom? Anybody remember? Barnabas. <laughs> the author of Hebrews, correct. And so these two men are, are there. And at this point, they're in central, what's today central Turkey, Central Asia Minor. And they go to this one town called Lystra. The... The remains of this place is still there. 
and it's, it's, a te- it's what they call a tell. It's just a lump. It's a, it's a hill which, if, they, if archaeologists dug into it, would find all the layers of this city. It's, it's there, it, but it's not a large thing. I mean, it's just a few acres. And uh, it's just there in the middle of agricultural fields and orchards in central Turkey. It's still there to this day. And it, it, he comes to this place called Lystra, and as I said, it is out of the way, and it was out of the way then. And here's what happens, verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Now, you've got several hundred people, maybe several thousand people in this town. Um, If you've got someone in town who has been lame and never walked, everybody knows this person. They all know and recognize this person quite well. Verse 9, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith, he saw that he had faith to be made well. He sees the anointing on the guy. And he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Well, the crowd saw that. What Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become men and have come down to us. There actually was a tradition in that area that, that, that Zeus would come and, and had in the past disguised as men knocking on doors to see whether you received him well. And if you didn't, he zapped you. Yeah. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus, which tells you what Barnabas looked like. He had good hair. And Paul, Hermes, because he talked a lot, and he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. They're going to worship Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine these two Jewish men? (laughs) It's like, oh, for heaven's sakes. And when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes, that's what you do when you hear blasphemy, rushed out into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And he goes on and he says some other things. And then verse 19. They, they restrained them. And then it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They've been chasing Paul around. Antioch is and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Let me describe a a stoning. Stoning was not a Greek way of executing somebody. That wasn't the Greeks that did that. Uh, It's the Jewish leaders who've come and they've probably convinced the crowd these guys are frauds. I mean, how it is, though, they all know this fellow, and he now is running around. How you explain that, I don't know, but they did something. And so they had a stoning. And what they would have done is tied his hands behind his back. They would have stood him on a precipice somewhere there in the city in which there was a a fall down about 15 to 20 feet. And then they would have pushed him off and it would, the fall would be to like a stone pavement or stones. And he would have landed on that. And if that didn't kill him in itself, they then stand at the top of this thing. And every person who is an accuser against him gets one stone. That's all you get. If you miss, it's your problem. So they stand up there and then they throw from about 20 feet up. 
stone down and just pummel this person until they're dead. It is a brutal, awful thing. I just want you to see this. They're not going, oh, Paul. They're not. They are. This is, this is devastating stuff. How you survive it is, is beyond me. I mean, this is a, a true miracle. Do you see then, verse 20? The disciples stood around him. They dragged his body out of the city, which is a terrible disgrace. It's downright blasphemous. The Greeks had a real high priority on, on they burned their body dead, but, but that was a big deal and you had to do it right. The Jews bury their dead. They also had a big deal. And so to drag his body out, probably to the dump, and leave it out there for the dogs, is just, a, is just this just could not be more disgraceful than they, they weren't capable of doing anything worse. And it says the disciples stood around him. So out come the disciples. And who's, who's among them? Who's one of these disciples? Barnabas. Barnabas. The guy knows how to pray. Okay? And whomever's with him. And they gather around Paul's bloody, broken body. And they pray. And he stands up. And walks back into the city. I mean, he really is quite the man. Yeah, that's amazing. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse, uh, we'll start at verse, verse 1. Paul is having an argument with the Corinthian church. And he says, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. See, they're, they're actually denying he's an apostle. And so he's just telling them some important things about his life here. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I'll not boast except in regard to my weakness. Down to verse 7. Because of the surpassing revelations, pardon, greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses and with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And he says 14 years ago when he writes this. Now, I have to admit to you, that by traditional datings, 
I'm about five years off. And so it might not be what I'm suggesting. But there's a menu here. We can pretty well choose from some of the other options. Go, go over to verse 11 and look at verses 24 and 25. Paul literally says there in the language, I mean, in, in what I just read, he says, I don't know if I was ensomati, if I was in the body, or if I was chorus somati. A chorus is a thing set apart. If I literally was out of my body. I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body at the time. I don't know if I was dead or alive. Well, here's some options. Verse 24. Five times he says, I... Well, verse 23. I was beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. So I've come close a lot. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Uh, they stopped at 39 because they felt 40 would, would reduce a person to shameful, disgraceful behavior. Three times I was beaten with rods, bastinados, those big. Once I was stoned, that's the one I just read you. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. And he goes on and just says, I've, I've had lots of other challenges and difficulties beyond that. Paul says at, at some point, I went and I saw into heaven. I saw where people go after we die. He still doesn't know if he was dead or alive at the time, whether it was a vision or whether he was actually there. The experience seemed as if he were standing there looking and listening, and he calls the place paradise. And says that, he heard things he doesn't feel free to repeat, nor is even capable of doing so if he tried. Then, after he, this took place, lest he should be lifted up too high in his or others' estimation, a satanic attack occurred that left him physically wounded or weak. Three times, he earnestly called on God to take it away. Undoubtedly, in part, because he feared it would hinder his ministry, but God kept telling him he would give him grace. What is that thorn in the flesh? Boy, this poor text gets so worked over because people are afraid that if Paul actually had something physical that wasn't healed, ah, then you see everybody doesn't always get healed of everything. And so it's argued about a lot. This is one of the passages that was confronted with that faith healer on that show that night. And he admitted, he says, I admit, that is what it says. What happened to Paul? We don't know exactly. Speculations are, did he have migraines? That wouldn't be surprising. I mean, just imagine what he went through. Did he have eye troubles? Why would you say eye troubles? Well, he actually, at the end of, 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 of the book of Galatians, he, he makes a comment. And what he would do when he, when he would... Uh, these books, he didn't write them all himself. He had what's called an amanuensis. He would dictate it and someone else would write it. And then it says at the end of Galatians, and it often does, he says, see what a large hand I write with. So at, after the guy wrote the thing, Paul would pick up a pen and he would write something so that people would recognize his handwriting and could spot forgeries. But when he wrote, he wrote really big letters. Why? He says earlier in the book of, of Galatians, it's Galatians 4 something there. I give you the reference. He says, 
I know you love me. He says, I know that if you could, you'd pluck out your own eyes and give them to me. Why would you say a thing like that? Unless you have eye trouble. Something's wrong. Could it have been that in all of that, he has this fat, incredible out-of-body experience. He literally goes and he sees where we go when we die. And Paul isn't unique in that, is he? I've known numerous people who've had such things, and you may too. In fact, live long enough, and I bet you will. Because there is some place. You do not cease to exist at all. I know it. I have talked to far too many credible people who have no idea, no religious intentions to try to stir something up or say anything. In fact, they're often telling me something they think, I'll think they're crazy. And then they say, Pastor, this happened. And it's over and over and over again, I hear this. I know it has. You do not cease to exist. Paul, I think, my speculation is, in, in the stoning or one of those other events, he literally died and was brought back. He saw this place and he heard inexpressible things. But with it, he also came away injured. And he asked God for on three times. Notice he doesn't just take no for an answer. Three times he earnestly, profoundly sought his healing. I need to be healed. How can I serve you if I can't see right? Or have these terrible headaches or whatever it was. How can I do it? Would you read it out loud with me? But God kept telling him, now read with me, my grace is enough for you, for my power is expressed in its fullness in human weakness. To which Paul responded, then I will most gladly boast in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ might tabernacle over me. If that's the way it is, then I am well pleased with weaknesses Insults, pain, persecution, limitations on behalf of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am powerful. It's literally what he says. He uses that word limitations and they translate it different ways. But the word means to be pressed into a tight, restrictive, to, to be suffering in restriction. There's no room. You're boxed in. I wonder if he's referring to handicaps. He says, I'm content if that's what it means. In other words, the wound that was left behind constantly reminds him how weak he is and how much he needs God's, God's help. And that desperation actually releases far more power of the Holy Spirit into his ministry. There are areas of our lives that simply don't go away. And I say that because if, if you don't see the truth of it, you end up feeling condemned and ashamed. You're constantly in this quest for something. And, and Paul asks three times, take it away. God says, no. It keeps you desperate. It keeps you dependent. It keeps you humble. And when you're weak like that, I can pour out my Shekinah, my power. 
he literally says that the, that the power of God might tabernacle. That's the word. I didn't, I didn't put that in because I thought it sounded good. That's the word he uses. That it might tabernacle. In other words, like the Shekinah glory, the, the cloud of fire and, and, and of, of, of uh, cloud over the tabernacle in the wilderness. That, that that anointing would rest on me. When I'm weak, his anointing comes and rests on me. When I, when I was 43, the Lord really gave me a tremendous breakthrough of healing in depression. I have not really had it ever like that again. But I'm still not the, just exactly the happiest guy in the world. And by nature, I gravitate into a sadness. I wake up in the morning, it's effortless, and I'm grumpy. My wife, on the other hand, is Pollyanna. She is happy, and she sees the positive side of everything. It's absolutely unnerving. It's like, stop it! Can't you see the negative? Quit looking at all this positive. I, I'm really... Not joking. I mean, this woman just keeps seeing the positive. What's wrong with her? I see the other side. I've asked the Lord to take that away. I've asked, the, you know, I would like the Lord to, to so work in me so that I don't tend to get sad. But that hasn't gone away. And I actually think he said this to me years ago. And what do I do with that? Knowing who I am, learning my weakness, has driven me to depend on God. I can't minister. I can't do anything. I can't function. I mean, some people say, I don't like to worship. I'm thinking, really? I can't breathe without it. Take it out of my life and I die. I don't know how you're functioning. I know me. I get depressed. I get so sad. I get so, so, so messed up. I have got to have the presence of God. It just becomes to me a dependence. I think one of the reasons, one of the graces that God gave me in my life, given my temperament, is to make me a pastor. Do you know, I have to worship four times a weekend. I have to get myself ready and in the spirit to preach the word. It's like, oh man, oh. you know, and then, no, I've got to get up. It's a grace given to me to drive me to depend on him. In my weakness, if I will take it to him, I actually become stronger. So do you. Amen. Do you have areas Areas of weakness, areas of damage, things that have been done to you, scars that you say, when is that going to stop? And it hasn't. And yet God has shown you how to find his power in that area. That's what was going on with Paul. When we deal with the temptations, the harassments, the things that want to come against us, we, there's, there can be areas where you say, I don't know why I'm never getting healing. I don't know where, why, why God isn't bringing freedom. There are certain areas, and, and I don't think it's everything. 
Many things he'll heal. Many things will just go away. But is there a free ride? Is there some place where there's no more problems and it's just happy, happy, happy? No. Are you picking up where I'm going with this? The resurrection has not taken place yet. Our body and natural mind are still unredeemed. Yes, God can heal and restore, but some wounds or weaknesses never entirely go away. Instead, God teaches us how to live victoriously in spite of them or maybe because of them. When people don't understand this, they fall into condemnation, assuming that if they only knew the right prayer to pray or got the right person to pray for them or cast out a demon or had enough faith, this problem would disappear. But in this case, the real answer only comes when we let God teach us new ways to live. In the course of all of this, God has shown me for myself spiritual disciplines, worship, prayer, fasting, ministry. I need those things. And when I throw in ministry, and I would say this to many of you, you would find you say, well, when I feel really good, when I'm really happy, when everything's together, then I'll minister. No, you need ministry. You need to be in that place where you're going, oh, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me. But boy, you better fix me fast because I've got to go and care for these people and I'm in a mess. That's a wonderful place to be. I've survived on that. Oh, God, help. And he does. See, that's the point. I've been, I've been, I've been a Christian for a long time. He has never failed me. He won't fail you either. This presence of God is real. It's solid. It will never fail you. It's simply a matter of learning. I have got to have him show up. And when he does, suddenly what was weak for you, where you're particularly dependent, where you're desperate, becomes an area where the power of God just repeatedly moves through your life. And here's the result. At the end of my life, no one will say, here lies a person whose life was spoiled by fill in the blank with yours. On my tombstone, it's not going to say, here lies a depressed guy. They won't know the battle I fought because my spiritual fruit won't be limited. My life is not limited by my weakness, nor is yours. You following? My life is not. You are not going to look at, say, Steve Shell. Boy, what a depressed guy thing. You're going you're to look at my life and you're going to see the fruit that Jesus Christ worked through my life. And you're going to see the fruit that Jesus Christ worked through your life. Not only in spite of the weakness, maybe because of it. No one says, wow, think what Paul might have done if he didn't have that thorn in the flesh. Right? No one says, boy, did Paul, Paul could have been a really great apostle if he didn't have that thorn in the flesh. Do we? He simply is as great as there was. Weakness becomes strength. 
God delights to pour out his power, especially in those areas where we have been wounded or weak. As we live in victory, we embody hope for those who suffer in the same sort of ways. We are living proof of what God can do. And we possess in our hearts a special level of faith. We know God can bring victory in that area. And such faith can't be hidden. It shines in our eyes and resonates in the tone of our voice. And there are important lessons we've learned about that area of wounding or weakness that we can pass on to others. Go with me, if you would, to the first chapter in 2 Corinthians. This is how Paul opens this letter. What I just said is that your area of weakness actually will become one of the strongest areas in your life of effective ministry to others. Paul says, blessed be, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, Notice that what he says now. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. God comforts me so that I can comfort you. The lessons I learn in my struggles empower me to help you. That's what I draw on. So Paul says... Blessed be the Lord who comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same lessons, the same things we've learned, we share with them. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. God comforts us so we can comfort others. What began as a wound or a weakness becomes an empowered area of ministry. Often I say this when I'm ministering to somebody after service. People can have alcoholism, depression, various kinds of addictions and, and, and problems. Sexual addictions. And I'll say to them, as you learn now to find God's power, as you learn to find freedom you are going to have to turn around and there are going to be scores of people who need to know, what, hundreds in many cases and thousands, who need to know what you've learned. Picture right now, you know the society, you live in it. When you see somebody who's come out of addiction, who's come out of bondage, who's now walking in freedom, they don't have to say anything. Just, they just embody hope. See, this is how the kingdom of God's meant to spread. Somebody in your family, maybe you've got a messed up family. Yeah, if I heard a few, oh yes. <laughs> and you look, at, and it, but, but so you come out. Now, they may, they may go at you at first with you. you know, yeah, you got religion. Uh -huh. But then when you're, you're not addicted anymore, and God begins to do his work in you, you watch what happens as the years go by. I have, have you? 
You watch who they call when there's a crisis. You watch the credibility that comes because the family's seen something happen in you and they believe it and you have an authority, an entree, a credibility with them. They won't give it to you right away. They may poke and prod at you to see if they can get you to fall. Because if this is real, they want to know. But if it's real, you know, what, what, you know why they fight you so much? They're afraid that it's real. And they're afraid to believe it's real. Because they've been let down many times. And they've tried and failed many times. And they've grown cynical, and that's their safety. This is the way it is, just live with it. And when they look at you, and they see the change in you, then you are going to, you're requiring them to open up and, and hope again. And they're terrified to do that. So yeah, they're going to poke at you hard. This better be real. But it is real. And many are going to be saved. What happens to you becomes your power alley. It becomes the avenue of ministry. It becomes the very area in which you have the greatest credibility. When I talk about depression, I don't know alcoholism. I don't, I don't know liquor from anything. I don't drink it. I'm no good. Somebody can be drunk and I don't know. Depressed? Aha! Walk in and I, I can spot you at 100 yards. Depressed. When I talk about depression, and it goes out on the radio, people come here just, they say, he knows what he's talking about. Those of us who've been depressed get really sick and tired of listening to dumb people talk about depression. Yeah. Amen. I'm serious. They, they go on with these things like, you know, just be happy. You know? <laughs> Choose happiness. Uh, I mean, I've got, I can, I've got books that I've just, bah! you know. Um, the, the joy of the Lord, your strength. Thank you. Know, and all it feels like is this. You know, smile. You don't understand. And we know, I know you don't understand. That's all right. My wife, I told you, she's Pollyanna. Well, what, at one point in her, her life, she actually went through a depression. And she came to me. It was really interesting. She came to me and she said, Stephen, I finally understand. She said, all these years, I've tried to understand. But I, could, I just couldn't. I didn't know why. She says, now, I understand. I'm sorry she does. That's a pretty terrible moment she went through. Why can I speak to somebody about this and I'm credible? Because I've had it. And I've had deliverance. Your weakness, your pain, your wounds become a great gift as God gives you victory and gives you strength in them. And you will have to help many who come behind you find the same grace. Father, we love you and we love your word. And we love freedom that you have come to give us.
Jesus, we pray that as we sit before you right now, with our wounds, with our weakness, with our pain, that Lord, instead of condemnation, instead of shame, instead of anger, instead of theologizing, we can come to a high priest who is gentle with us. For he has been tempted in all ways like as we. Who is familiar with weakness. Who has suffered as we suffer. And therefore can come to our aid. It's to you, Jesus. Our gentle, compassionate, High priest, that we bring our weakness, our wounds, our temptations, our failures, our sins. And thank you for loving us as we are. Thank you for your great death on the cross, bearing our sin, bearing our sorrow, bearing our sickness, breaking its power over us. And washing us, Lord Jesus, with your shed blood. That we are clean and loved of the Father. That we are righteous. That we are inheritors of a new covenant. Oh, we praise you. We honor you. We believe afresh. Great, compassionate, tender high priest. Jesus, to you we come. In your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.